Hey, welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right. So the last day of First Corinthians uh, and today we're in First Corinthians uh, 13. First Corinthians has been really good for my own soul as I've just been reading it and working through the text. And it's interesting because we're in smack dab in the middle of Paul's discussion on spiritual gifts, right? As we dive into chapter 13. And remember, 1 Corinthians is this ethical letter, right? Paul sees a problem and he lays out a solution. And after going in in chapter 12 about how gifts function in the Christ communities, in the churches, we see him take this sharp turn. He says, if I speak human or angelic tongues, but I do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging symbol if i have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and if i have all faith so that i can move mountains but do not have love i'm nothing and if i give away all my possessions and if i give over my body in order to boast but do not have love i gain nothing love is patient love is kind love does not envy it is not boastful it's not arrogant it's not rude it's not self-seeking it's not irritable and does not keep a record of wrongs love finds no joy in unrighteousness but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So good. Paul doesn't come here to denigrate any of the gifts that he described before, but to highlight that they are to be undergirded by the way of love, right? Love, according to Paul, gives shape and saturates the way we exercise our gifts. Notice he says, I will show you not a better gift, but a better way at the end of chapter 12, right? And notice in this text, when he's talking about when he's talking about love, he ain't talking about some, you feel me, some sentimental, sweet feelings on the inside, you know, all that good stuff. And those things aren't necessarily bad. But love, according to Paul, is a bit more rich. It's a bit more textured and thick than that. Right. He uses this umbrella term of love and then he uses a bunch of verbs. It's kind of harder to see in, in uh, English, but he uses a bunch of verbs to describe them. <laughs> right. Love, according to Paul, is is patient. Right. Like I love old King James. Uh, it's long suffering. You dig what I'm saying? And and love, love though, is the active, listen, the active way of life of the Christian. All right. We are those who are to grow in love, fam, in our capacity to receive it and in the capacity to give it right to God, of course, first and to our neighbors as well. And this is the way, fam, like this is the way I love that that metaphor of uh, the Christianity, man, like as being the way, bro. This is the way to true life. <laughs> I love that. It's so beautiful. Um, and, and Paul is saying like, this is the way, this is the trajectory we all should be moving forward to, right? As we follow Jesus. And for, for, for them and for us, right? This has to be the focus and priority of our discipleship of our very lives. We should focus on loving one another more than we focus on each other's gifts first corinthians 14 paul goes in about the gifts of prophecy and tongues another whirlwind right uh and his main point here is to describe the function right of how these gifts specifically are to be exercised in the community of god's people and at the end of the day paul is saying that these are meant to be for building up right they were meant to be for building up one another and they are to be done listen decently and in order i love verse 40 he says but everything is to be done decently and in order paul is so concerned in this letter man and i think we see it again in this text with being and uh you know uh with being uh kind of self-effacing bro and, and and looking 
out for our neighbor, right? We tend to have this tendency, again, I said it uh, a little bit last time, to use our gifts to draw attention to ourselves. Um, but according to Paul, that's just that's just not Christian, right? Our gifts are used to uh, for the sake of others, right? For our brothers and sisters. First Corinthians 15. All right. So First Corinthians 15 is probably my favorite chapter in First Corinthians. It's so good, bro. Um, yeah, and chapter 15 is in many ways the climax of the book, right? Where he discusses and corrects their understanding of the resurrection of the body. And I love this chapter because yes, it's deep. Yes, it's dense. Um, but he's really uh, arguing tightly and really like uh, just unveiling, I, I would say, the mystery of the gospel, man. And in the former chapters, you know, if the former chapters were about correcting behaviors, right? Here, Paul is trying to correct their beliefs, right? And newsflash, right? Theology matters, right? Theology is important. Beliefs and behavior often inform one another both in both directions, in both ways. And it's interesting, though, that the letter in much of its entirety is framed by the heart of the gospel, right? If the heart of the gospel is the actual death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, think about chapter one, right? Talked about the death and chapter 15 talks about the resurrection. And so the, the letter is kind of framed and bracketed by the centrality of the gospel, right? Um, and it's so good because look what he says. He give, And speaking of the gospel, he, he, he gives, you know, one of the, the most clear, succinct state, statements of what the gospel actually is. Um, side note, um, many of us don't know what the gospel is. That's a whole other combo. Um, however, uh, you know, one of the things I heard a, a pastor say is that, man, one of the things he has to, to continually do is over and over redefine what the gospel is for his uh, church. And I think we have to do it for ourselves as well. Now I want to make clear for you, he says, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received on which you have taken your stand. I love that. And by which you are being saved. Check this. If you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So the gospel is not just something we believe. It's actually something we also hold on to, right? Verse three, for I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas then to the 12. This is the gospel for Paul. And he further goes on to exposit the meaning and significance specifically of the resurrection, right? And many because of its structure, believe it was an early creedal or confessional statement that was memorized by the churches. Now, you read carefully, you 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 have to read carefully to catch the problem. Now, the problem, many people think the problem is that they were denying Christ's resurrection. But if you read it carefully, it's kind of clear that that's not the case. They were uh, wrestling with the resurrection of the body of the believers in the future, right? And for Paul, I love this. He says this, to question this, the resurrection of the body for believers in the future is not even to understand Christ's resurrection. Fire, 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 fire. And if you think about it, it makes sense, um, you know, that these cats are the ones who think they have knowledge, who see themselves as spiritual and who think, uh, you know, loosely and casually about the body that they would have kind of questions or that they would be kind of, eh on the, the actual physical, physical resurrection of the actual body, right? They ain't cared about the body and any of their behavior. And you see how behavior informs belief and vice versa, right? Um, and so it's, it's, not, it's no surprise that they think um, the resurrection of the body in the future is, is, is meaningless or, or isn't true. And so 12, he, he kind of mentions this, right? Now, if Christ is proclaimed as risen from the, as raised from the dead, 
Listen, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Verse 13, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Note now, now, now see what he says. Notice the way he argues, fam. He goes backwards, chief. He says, no, no, no. If there's no resurrection of the dead in the future, then Christ hasn't been raised actually in the past. What? Now you guys say, what are you talking about, Paul? I love it because he's going to clarify what he means and it's so fire. It's so fire. So he says, no, no, no. Verse 20. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead. So, he, so, so before this, let me back up. He goes like, yo, if Christ ain't really been raised and we preaching in vain, like we lying on God's name out here, bro. Uh, we capping all this kind of stuff. Uh, we're still in our sins. Like life is meaningless. We should be pitied. You know, uh, we're wasting our time. But verse 20, but as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, right? Listen, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Oh my God. This is one of the, the, the most beautiful statements in uh, the New Testament. I may be exaggerating a little bit, but listen, in other words, what he's saying is this. In the Old Testament, you have to know the OT for Paul. Paul is swimming, right, in OT. The first fruits were the crops or flocks, hear this, that people of Israel would offer to God in thanksgiving for the harvest that he had given them. And this recognition and thanksgiving of the harvest, right, was the, was the people of Israel saying this offering, hear this, is a representative of the whole. And, and, and it pointed to this organic unity between the first fruits and the rest of the harvest so 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 in other words the first fruits was part of the whole harvest so you may be saying like what are you talking about so so listen listen this is what paul is saying it's so good christ being the first fruits fam means that christ's resurrection and our our resurrection is one harvest they're inseparable right christ's resurrection is the initial portion of the whole in other words paul is saying that the resurrection of jesus fam the resurrection of jesus and the resurrection of those who've fallen asleep is one event right it's not just a guarantee but it's the beginning of one event right so so let me let me, let me back up a little bit listen Paul is an apocalyptic Jew, apocalyptic Jew, meaning he is a Jew that believed that the end times had come, right? The New Testament, I've said it over and over again, is an apocalyptic document, meaning that according to the apostles, according to Jesus, the last days appear. The Old Testament had this outer, this, this, uh, this latter day outlook where they were saying, no, no, in the last days, the Messiah will come. In the last day, God, will, God will bring in the kingdom. In the last days, he would, he would deal with sin. In the last days, he would bring in the covenant. In the last days, he will pour out his spirit, right? All these promises. And Paul is saying, hey, it's come. No, 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 it's come. And for many Jews, and you even see this now, extra biblical, right? Like Jewish literature before the New Testament. You see that many Jews believe, fam, that, um, you know, at the, at the last days that God would raise the dead, that God would raise up believers. He would raise up the righteous. But nobody anticipated that God would raise up one man in the middle of history. And so what Paul is saying, fam, he's saying, no, no, like what I'm telling y'all still fits in that framework, right? God has, he is raising up all of us at the end of time but i'm just telling you that jesus has brought the end of time and he is the first portion of this whole harvest that is being raised up right and it's so deep and it's so good bro and it's so amazing right it's like literally awe-inspiring once you realize what he's actually saying and i love the way one theologian puts it man he said fam he says i would go as far as to say that christ's resurrection 
and our resurrection is one event in two episodes. It's one event in two episodes, bro. Nonetheless, and Paul goes on to say this, there's a temporal time distinction between the two of them. Now, the way this, like, it's really hard to wrap your mind around. <laughs> but once you think about it, man, you can see and make sense of it. And uh, yeah, Christ's resurrection, bro, was just the first fruits. And there's a whole harvest that comes after it. This was just a crop out of a harvest. And you may say, like, how could God do that? And it's so good because the gospel, in, in some ways, it's, it's, it's miraculous, but it's logical at the same time. Um, you know, for Paul, Paul says no. Like in verse 45, he says, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Verse 45. I think I think what he's doing is explaining what, how this actually works out. In other words, oh my God, so good. It's so good. I, I don't even have time to go into all of it. In other words, bro, Paul is saying that, um, he's saying that when Christ rose from the dead, bro, and, and Peter says this in Acts 2, when Christ rose from the dead, he ascended to heaven and or he appeared to everybody, went back, you know, to ascend to heaven. And Peter says that God gave him the spirit. What? So, so, so in other words, and what many theologians have said, bro, is that um, when, when Christ ascended to heaven, he, he, in, in some way, it's really hard to wrap our minds around, that he received the spirit and now he pours out that spirit on believers and now we are united to him. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 17, that we are one with Christ. We are one with him. And so this is how, this is how it can be one event because we're in him, right? We are united to him in a way that is beyond all of our comprehension, right? And so for Paul, the resurrection is central, bro, to what it means to become Christian, but it is also uh, inseparable from us being raised with the risen Christ. Lastly, 1 Corinthians 16. He ends off the letter, uh, kind of tying up practical loose ends uh, and leaving them with an admonition, man. He says, uh, be alert, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. Listen, do everything in love. And Paul, in this letter, he just wants them to know, in the gospel, in community, God wants us to change, all right? Our position before him, yes, but also who we actually are and how we actually live and how we actually relate to one another in the grace and love that is found in Jesus. And our prayer should be that God will grant us the strength, the discernment, the faith to live in a way that would please him. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would give us the strength to understand the deep things of God. Yes, but also, Lord, to live.